What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon welcome back everyone to the healthy charleston podcast so this week we started a new series where it's just nate and i discussing slash arguing about different topics so obviously with nate being the genius that he is I ask him questions all the time, and we usually end up having pretty great discussions, so I thought this would be a cool way to share that information with both our patients and other physical therapists or students, because we're all about educating and empowering people. So this week, we are talking about whether or not you should go to PT school, the BOSU ball, the bottoms-up kettlebell carry, which I'm still not 100% convinced about ring planks, and we get into a little bit of a back pain and rounding your back discussion. So if there's ever anything, a specific topic or question you want us to cover, feel free to DM, reach out, send a raven, whatever. So we hope you enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. So today we're doing things a little bit differently. So I have Nate, Nathan Jones, Dr. Nathan Jones with me today. And so we realized that we were having like a lot of discussions in the clinic and in our meetings that were actually pretty thought provoking. And like, we thought that a lot of people could benefit from them. And I also always have like a ton of questions for Nate and I know a lot of other PTs and patients do. So I wanted to find a way to broadcast that and get that information out there. So for the next, I don't know, indefinitely, we'll try to schedule maybe like a monthly podcast. So if you're listening to this and you end up having questions for either Nate or myself, feel free to DM me, um, respond to any stories, and we'll try to start asking or answering those questions regularly. What's up, Nate? How's it going? How you doing today? Oh, you know. Yeah? Today? It's pretty well. <laughs> it's yeah. a Tuesday. Yeah. All right, so Nate got a pretty interesting question. Mm-hmm. So I had someone ask me, uh, tell me actually, hey, talk me out of physical therapy school. So I think it's an interesting, an interesting thing. So... Physical therapy school, if you want to be a physical therapist, is obviously the only way to do it. And so the question is, like, why do you want to go to physical therapy school? So this guy in particular was an engineer, and he had bilateral knee pain. And he was like, hey, I want to go go to physical therapy school to learn how to fix my knees. Oh, um, it was, like, more for him. Yeah, but, but also, you know, he probably just wants to be a physical therapist in general, too. And that, so what people kind of think, I, I think, and what I thought, too, before going to physical therapy school is, hey, I have this degree in exercise science or whatever you get, engineering, anything like that, and I'm going to go to physical therapy school and learn all these, like, super top secret physical yes. therapy things. top secret. Yeah, and... I mean, really, when it what it boils down to at this point is like, you know, manual therapy is okay. Um, <laughs> some of the stuff you learn in PT school can have small effects, like temporary effects. 
the biggest, single biggest tool we have in our toolbox, the most effective tool we have is exercise. And you don't need to go to physical therapy school to learn how to apply exercise. So in fact, physical therapy school is probably, and and again, just from the program I went through, um, is probably not like the best way to do that. So we had, we had a class called applied physiology and you know, you like, just like in a, undergrad exercise science you go through and you learn how to calculate ATP and all this like how biochemical stuff how learned how to do like that? at least three through through various college courses oh my god it's yeah. like every new class yeah and like that has no it's supposed to be applied physiology right so like there's no application there it is not that's not applied um applied is things like how many sets and reps should I do how do I apply the right this. yeah how do I apply the right stimulus to get the adaptation I want and that is not what is covered um Honestly, at all, it really. And, Ever. And, yeah, I, I don't think there's a single... No. Yeah, well, I can't really like, think of anything. With applied physiology, the point of all these classes is that, like, you have foundation of your first year and you build on it. Mm-hmm. But what actually was the case is, like, it would be the same exact it's class. It's the same class over So and over it's like, again. so I just paid for an extra year mm-hmm. to be able to call myself a doctor... But what was filled in was just, like, a replica of all the other classes and then a couple of evidence... EVP courses, mm-hmm. which are just like how to be skeptical of the research. Yeah, which is probably a good thing, but yeah, yeah. There's so even in like musculoskeletal lab where you're supposed to be learning exercises or like the interventions. I can't remember which one you learn exercises. And it's like, hey, come up with exercises for the rotator cuff. And so you you do your typical physical therapy visit one exercises in there, and there's no talk about like, okay, how do we apply this? How do we like how do we progress this? And it's just like come up with a few. Okay, that was fun. Move on. And it's really, that's about the limit of it in physical therapy and and PT school. And so if you want to learn how to fix your own knees, exercise is going to be the biggest tool for that. It's going to be the most effective thing for that. And it's really just progressive overload and understanding um, pain science and how how to progress without damaging yourself. But like you said, like that is probably, you probably get 10% of that in PT school. Yeah. Or that is 10% of PT school. The rest of it. I don't want to say fluff, but it kind of seems like fluff. There's a lot like, of fluff. It definitely seems like a lot of the stuff that we don't really use in the clinic. Mm-hmm. So, but it's like in order to be able to do what we do in the clinic, we had to go to PT school. Yeah. So I described it as a stepping stone to someone and they were like, well, it's a really expensive stepping it's stone. It's a very, yeah. So that's the other argument is, you know, you're probably coming out with over six figures in loans yeah. from almost especially every PT school. Especially state. Yeah, especially if you go out of state. And the debt-to-income ratio is not good. You can hop onto any physical therapy student Facebook page at this point, and that's like 50% of the conversations are like, hey, I'm never going to pay off my student loans. Or like, hey, I have $150,000 in loans, and I'm making $55,000 a year. And it's, you know, and that's fairly typical. There are settings like home health or travel PT where you can make significantly more, and a lot of people do a good job of paying off their loans very quickly doing that. But like, Home health sucks. I it's don't. It's not really a lot of the PT that yeah. people want to do. It's yeah. not really why people became PTs. Yeah, if you're the guy who's interested in, or the girl who's interested in, like the orthopedic, like I want to fix people's knees, like home health is not the setting you're going to be happy in. Um, I remember like everybody told me they were like, you should be a PT because you'll have like a flexible lifestyle and you'll make six figures. Yeah, like people promise you six figures. Mm-hmm. That was the case in like 2001, you know, like late 90s, did early 2000s. Did people make six figures? I think they, some people did, so yeah. So before it was even a doctorate, people were making yeah, six figures. because you could like bill super unethically. And, yeah, yeah, great. So now that we figured all that out, and then mm-hmm. we were like, oh, well, let's be, let's call ourselves doctors. So we have to pay for a doctoral education, mm-hmm. but we don't get paid like a doctor. Yeah, and 
reimbursement is decreasing. Medicare decreased PT reimbursement by 8% last year. And there's a bill in the works right now to decrease it by a further 9%. And like, you know, 17% of Medicare income leaving, like you're going to get paid less unless you're avoid, unless you're like us and you do just a cash based physical therapy clinic, no insurance. But even then, like reimbursements decreasing, it's not a way to make a lot of money. And, and unless you really, really want to be a physical therapist, um, and I do, so I'm, I'm being really pessimistic right now. I feel like I made a really good life decision for myself and I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. Um, yeah, I love my job. Like I'm, yeah. I'm really glad that I went to PT school because it allowed me to do what I'm doing today. But if I would have had to do anything but this, mm-hmm. I would have exploded. Yeah. Like I would not have survived in a typical outpatient ortho mill and Mm -hmm. like I just couldn't and that's what most people end up doing yeah that's almost almost everyone is going to be seeing more than one patient an hour um so it's like I'm in like all this debt mm -hmm. for possibly doing a job that I hate luckily I got very blessed like Mm -hmm. that I don't have to do a job that I hate but it's still like I go back and forth because I'm like, it de- I guess it depends on your goal. Like if you are like, I want to be a PT and that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. But I do feel like people, at least in our realm, like use PT as a, like a gateway drug to everything else in the world. Of yeah. like, I started as a PT and then I want to have my own business or like digital marketing. And then there's CrossFit and like other there's strongman teaching courses. Like it's kind of just like opens your eyes to a lot of things and you can use your degree in any way you want. And that's why I think PT is great. But then I'm like, but did I need this degree? Like, do I yeah. need a PT degree to be a CrossFit coach and to own a CrossFit gym? Yeah, you know, and even like with corrective exercises, or you can call it rehabilitation, like unless you're a physical therapist, you can't say you're doing physical therapy, but you can say you're doing rehab, corrective, whatever. Like it's the knowledge, the way you gain that knowledge is not going to PT school. Like we said, it's it's just like seeing people finding patterns like pattern recognition of seeing enough people over enough time and having a decent baseline knowledge of physiology and biomechanics and that's in pain science gotta gotta put pain science in there but like which is not what you paid for yeah which is not yeah so unless you really want to have the title doctor of physical therapy um it's honestly probably not the way to go yeah, like I don't think you... I would be I'm trying to think because I don't think I would have been happy doing anything else honestly so that I think it was the right way to go for me but I think yeah. it, it cannot be about the money and you kind of are going to have to be comfortable having a lot of student loans um, that you're going to be paying off for a while unless you have a good way to get around that I would yeah I mean I would also say on that point like don't go out of state so I had to go out yeah. of state because my parents lived in Mississippi at the time for extraneous reasons And the only place I could get in state was in South Alabama, and I didn't want to do that. So, like, I'm very thankful that this brought me to Charleston, even if I had to pay out of state. But schools don't let you change your residency while you're a student. Do they not? No. Like, I'm a resident. I've been here forever. But because I was trying to change my residency my first year of PT school, they were like, great, you're a resident, but you can't get in-state tuition. Wow. Which is, like, makes it seem even more like you just want my money. It is. So, like, it doesn't matter... I don't think it matters what PT school you go to anymore. I don't no, think it, it matters where you go for undergrad. Like, get yeah. a degree. That's all really people care about. And, you know, that you're, like, a nice person and actually have experience. But if all – if most PT schools are not even teaching you, like, what you need, then just, like, go to the cheapest one you can. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, there's – nobody cares what PT school you went to. And, yeah, just just go to a cheap PT school. Find the, find the one that's going to cost you the least amount of money. And that's, that's really it. Unless you don't so, care. Like, unless you yeah. have, you know, oodles of money and, like, you don't care. You have this set up or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there also is a lot to say for, like, 
uh, enjoying the place that you live, mm-hmm. quality of life, and like forming like forming that reputation. Like if I didn't go to PT school here, like I wouldn't be working here right now because I wouldn't That's know true. any of y'all. And so that was definitely very helpful. But I also just spent way too much money. Do you think that you like looking back? Would you have you would you make the same decision? Would you go to PT school? Yes, I'd make some different decisions, like saving my GI Bill for PT school. Um, oh my God. Instead of what? The, I used it on undergrad because I didn't know what oh. I was going to do. So I was like, oh, yeah. I'll use it on this and should have saved it. Because now that there's um, things like, I mean, there's like active life, right? Which is like mm-hmm. teaching coaches how to modify and like how to get people out of pain, which do you feel that's like encroaching on PT? You know, maybe, but... If, if PT, if the effective thing for PT is exercise, that belongs to everyone. Exactly. That's not... We're so defensive of it. Yeah. I, I think we rely on the authority of our title instead of actually having the knowledge when the, the title should be a result of the knowledge that we have. So like PTs need to be more knowledgeable, especially outpatient orthopedics need to be more knowledgeable than your typical coach, than your typical personal trainer. Like you're a doctor of physical therapy. You need to push yourself to know more about exercise than these people do instead of just doing like bird dogs and transverse abdominus contractions and all that stuff for, for 12 weeks. You know, like we we're doctors of physical therapy. We need to live up to that versus relying on that. I think. So, but if you're, if you're just going to be like a personal trainer, you can probably have the same level of knowledge as a physical therapist. You could become known for rehabilitative exercise. You can be known for getting clients out of pain, all that kind of stuff. If you, if you learn the right stuff and you're probably most of that is going to be learned outside of PT school anyway, if you do go to PT school, I would argue. Probably going to piss a few PTs off. Yeah. I mean, I get frustrated when I see people calling themselves PT, but they're Mm -hmm. a personal trainer or like. When CrossFit coaches try to do PT or whatever that even means. But then yeah. I'm like, yeah, exercise belongs to everyone. Mm-hmm. We're just defensive about it because we paid a lot of money and we have this title. Yeah. But you don't need the title to help people. Like You don't mm-hmm. need the title to help get people out of pain. But that's the thing is that people think that PT is so special. Like, especially mm-hmm. PTs think that. They're like... You go to PT school and you learn these top secret things and I can get you out of pain and I'm a doctor and I went to school for three years. And so we try to make everything, not we, but like a Mm -hmm. lot of people try to make their treatment and their manual therapy so specific and they're doing something that they're not actually doing. And I'm like, how much of it is that we, we have this title and we paid for this school. And so now we're just trying to make what we do special. Yep. That's, that's exactly it. Like it's, it's an ego, partially ego thing. And it's partially like sunk cost fallacy of, I put a lot of effort into this, put a lot of time, a lot of money into this. This needs to be better. This, I need to believe this is better than something I could have just done on my own without calling it physical therapy. And it's like, probably not, you know, in most cases. They're like, I need to believe that my fingers are making. Yeah like changes like tissue changes I need to believe that I'm breaking up adhesions or like mm-hmm. I I need to believe that I'm fixing this person and it's like PT is still special like we mm-hmm. still have a like wealth of knowledge that most of the population doesn't have and that's where I, I used to get kind of like frustrated because I was like it was when I was actually your student cause mm-hmm. I, was, I was like what do we even do like what even is PT because that's when I started learning yep. about like pain science and placebos and manual therapies not doing what we think it's doing and I got frustrated because I was like what we do is not special but that we live in a bubble of like we all know most of health and fitness and like all of that but there's most of the population has no knowledge of it mm-hmm. and I think what probably makes what does make PT special is the setting of people come to us with injuries right like that that's the that's the place people go is to physical therapists with injuries. And so we see that 
all day long, day in, day out. We see people with injuries. We start to develop really good pattern recognition, but that comes with a baseline of, of the exercise physiology, biomechanics, pain science, all that stuff. But we see probably more injuries than your typical personal trainer or coach or anything like that. And we treat them and we see what works and what doesn't work. And that's really that experience probably does make some PT special compared to other, but it's nothing, it's not something a personal trainer couldn't do necessarily. Um, if they, as long as they don't call it physical therapy, you know, it's just, it's because we have access to all the hurt people, we probably get better at dealing with the hurt people. Um, I feel like that's also why a lot of people don't really value, like we don't get paid the way that we think we should. mm -hmm. And we, people don't really value us the way that we think we should be valued because people Mm -hmm. don't really know what we do. Yeah. People are like, someone asked me, they were like, what's the difference between you and a personal trainer? Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, not a lot. And yeah. it's fine. Like, yeah. I'm, but I'm, the goal is I'm not just putting you through a hard workout, like just to get your biceps bigger or do this. Like sometimes mm-hmm. that's the case. But it's like, we have like PT, if PT is this big bubble, like within the bubble is all the personal training knowledge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, exercise, like all the principles are the same. Mm-hmm. And most personal trainers train better and exercise people better than most PTs. Vast majority. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you, don't go to PT school unless you really want to. Oh my I God. That's like, <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I don't, yeah. Man. I, like I would still probably do it, but I would, I would take different paths. I feel like, is there an online version now? I don't know. I think some are split. There's like, uh, you have to go for like musculoskeletal labs and neuro labs and stuff on the weekends, but I mean, higher education as a whole, like, kind of irritates me. Mm-hmm. What would you have done instead if you didn't go to PT school? Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough... Maybe... Uh, probably something something in exercise physiology. Like, I just like, like physiology a lot. Probably, yeah. I probably would have hated it, though. Like, writing grants and Oof. data I collection. I good at it. Yeah? I don't yeah. know. So, yeah. I would say, like, figure out what you want to use your degree for. Mm-hmm. And then try to answer, like, try to ask yourself do you need a three-year doctoral degree to, to get to that end result? And it's okay. Like the answer might be yes, because there's a ton of people like on the, you know, Instagram digital marketing world that are like PTs, but don't, don't like, don't practice PT, but it got Mm -hmm. them to where it is, where they are today. So like, I don't know if you follow the movement maestro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, she's great. And, but she very much talks about like, you can use your degree, like however the hell you want. Like it doesn't matter. It's just a path. Who asked yeah. you that, by the way? Uh, someone on my say? Instagram. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I do want to throw out there, too. So we're coming from a place of, like, outpatient orthopedics, which has the most overlap with personal training and coaching and stuff like that. There's, you know, like, pediatrics is its whole weird little world. And, like, oh, yeah. I would probably personally try and argue that the principles are the same of, like, but it's probably harder to get kids to, like, do a three-by-five with deadlifts. You know, it's it's probably not yeah. going to happen. So the it's probably a little more valuable there. Um, neuro, the principles are probably a little bit closer to, to outpatient ortho, where it's most people just need to, like, exercise hard and do things that address their deficits. There's probably some benefit if you're in a neuro population to going purely to PT school. Yeah. I think it would be difficult to... I don't know. And again, this is, I haven't looked into it a whole lot. It'd probably be more difficult to learn all that on your own versus going to PT school, but outpatient orthopedics, um, you could probably learn most of it on your own without. Yeah, I know. Now we're all sad. We're both sad. Well, I'm sad. And I'm also (laughs) like, I feel bad for like talking about it this way. I mean, I loved most of my professors and I thought Mm -hmm. that they were very passionate and very approachable. 
there was just a like a gap. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of exercise being yeah. taught. Well, they have to teach to boards, right? Like the point of physical therapy school is to pass boards so you can be a licensed physical therapist and the boards dictate the curriculum. They dictate what you learn. And the boards are like five to 10 years behind where the current evidence is. Like if you look yeah. at like some of the questions my last student had, um, like was he was like, looking at on the Pete, oh like it's gosh. just so bad. Like you learn how to take boards. Like you don't yeah. use your knowledge to apply it to boards. Like you just learn, it's like the GRE or the ACT, yeah. like you just learn how to take it. Yeah. And like the days that we would learn exercise in class was like a Friday. And it was like, like you said, like, okay, well, like y'all just figure out how to do this and you're going to present it to the class. Mm-hmm. It's gotten better though. Like when you and Mesa went to teach the squat and the deadlift and mm-hmm. things like that, but there's still the, like, yeah. even there, that's just like, here's some exercises. Like, how do we apply this? Like, we don't have time to yeah. talk about that in the hour. The neuro curriculum though, I thought was great. Neuro was awesome. Yeah. So like neuro and peas and the kind of more specific things. Mm-hmm. PT school is great for those to like to learn, to get experience because there's so much that you need to know about those. Like PEDS is uh, just like so such a different world. Yeah. It's PEDS is weird. I don't remember anything about it, but it's, it's just it's like a you whole have to make other... everything a game. Yeah. PEDS is pediatrics for those of you. Oh uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. All right. Well, I feel like we answered that question. All right. Crushed it. Okay. So this other debate that Nate <laughs> and I have been having, I'll let our listeners decide who's right. Okay. So there was this whole thing that Elliot posted about the BOSU ball and the BOSU ball kind of being like a shitty way to work on single leg or like balance. And it was Mm -hmm. like, you're just adding this thing that's not functional. I I should pull up the post. He actually got a lot of like backlash about it. Like a lot of people commenting things and being like, I use BOSU balls every day in my training. And like, you go to the guy's Instagram, he's like Mr. BOSU ball. Like literally every picture has a BOSU ball. And it's just like, you see Alvin Kamara, on a BOSU ball doing squats and like yelling out different colors and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, he must be so fit. But so let's first get that out of the way. Like, how do you Mm -hmm. feel about BOSU balls? So they don't allow you. So what are, what is the adaptation we're looking for? Like what's the point of it? So if we're looking to gain tissue capacity, like muscle, muscle mass, strength, all those things, the BOSU ball is inferior to just doing stuff on the floor. So you cannot use as much weight. You can't get as much muscle activation. You can't get close as close to fatigue. So you can't build as much muscle. You can't get the same like tissue capacity stimulus. Um, if you're looking to improve balance for a sport, like being on the BOSU ball has nothing to do with any sport unless there's a BOSU ball sport. Like, I mean, <laughs> skills are fairly, there's some, there's, there's carryover between skills, but skills are fairly specific yeah. to like the sport you're doing. Um, if you're on a football field trying to cut around people and dodge things and all that kind of stuff, like a BOSU ball doesn't teach you that you have to actually do that thing or as close to it as you can get in practice. And so like, Maybe there can be an argument made for like being on a BOSU ball so you're distracted and then you're like the, the colors thing. Maybe they're working on like dual tasking or something. But I, I would still. It's like overload, sensory yeah, overload. I would still argue like doing something specific to the sport is going to have much better carryover than being on a BOSU ball and calling out colors. Like when in any sport are you doing anything similar to that? You know? So like maybe there's some sort of general, very vague balance adaptation, but I don't think there'd be a lot of it that carries over to any other activity besides being on a BOSU ball. Okay. So what do you think about, okay. So say we have an ankle Mm -hmm. stability issue, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. So there's three way ankle, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm non weight bearing and I have a band around my foot and I'm Mm -hmm. moving my ankle through a a range of motion that I wouldn't be able to get when I'm standing on the floor. Mm -hmm. Like I can't fully invert or fully evert Mm -hmm. against a band on the floor. Mm -hmm. 
So is that the reasoning that we put people on a BOSU ball for things like ankle stability? Because it allows us to use that range of motion and like you have to also correct for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that, is that a beneficial use of it or still no? Mate. I think that might work for like desensitizing someone in pain. So like someone that just had an ankle sprain um, and it hurts to like invert evert. You're putting them on a BOSU ball. They have to like think about what their body's doing instead of like think about, hey, my ankle's going this way. So it's like a it's a uh, outside. It's an external. Uh, oh, what's that called? Dang it! It's it's an external focus versus like an internal focus. Yeah. Is that actually is that all that it is though? I would kind of I don't know. I kind of think it is because like we're not we're not increasing tissue capacity. Which, like, but like who's to say, who's to say that we're not? Like, how do you know what they're, t- yeah. like, how do you measure tissue capacity? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's, okay, so not even like tissue capacity, but just yeah. like human capacity, especially if they're coming in with an acute injury and probably mm-hmm. like, I like to think of it as like, they're negative in the bank. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're just trying to get them back to baseline. Mm-hmm. Also, you have to ask like, what, what's the stimulus that improves tissue capacity and it's strength training or like what we think of as resistance training typically. Right. So like, but like what about the beginning part of like calming mm-hmm. it down? Or yeah. Like doing so I do think it would, I do think it could probably work for desensitizing. If you're, if someone's really afraid and they don't want to do anything and you put them on a BOSU ball and I feel like they'd their be ankles more afraid. They might like, be well, more shoot, afraid. Yeah. Ball. Yeah. So, so it, it's more beneficial probably to do individual. other things. I think it would be more beneficial to like build up to actual tissue capacity with resistance training of the ankle, knee, hip, whatever. Um, make the legs strong and then start to incorporate sports specific drills or make them do the thing that hurt them in the first place, but at a lower intensity. So like if it was an inversion sprain, like make them walk on the outside of their foot or like eventually progress to jumping on the outside of their foot and like make them comfortable with that as the tissue capacity increases in a slow progressive manner. But like, I just don't think like a BOSU ball has much place in there just from a stimulus adaptation standpoint. And I could be wrong. Like maybe it's more was, complicated. Like, is there any benefit to it just being fun or just being different and just yeah. being something new and like a new challenge that they mm-hmm. have to overcome? Like tissue capacity aside, mm-hmm. if it's just that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, if you want to get like super nihilistic about training, like what's the point of anything we're doing? It's just because we feel like doing it, you know? So like, why do I want to deadlift more? Does it really matter? Probably not. Like, I just like to, I just like to deadlift more. So why would you want to do something on a BOSU ball? If you want to get better at doing things on a BOSU ball, that's cool. Like go for the BOSU ball. That's, that's for sure. If that, if that makes you happy in the moment, if it's a challenge to overcome, I would kind of argue if someone's coming to you and paying for rehab, that putting them on a BOSU ball is not, a good use of their money for many things, unless they're specifically saying like, I want to improve my skill on the BOSU ball. (laughs) But also like they, they never come in and they're like, I want you to put needles where it hurts. But if you're like, some people do. Yeah, you're right. You have a lot of people, a lot more people that do. But if they're like, Oh, you know, if you're like, well, I need to do something that's Mm going to be non-threatening and it's going to calm everything down. It's going to be kind of a new stimulus because Mm -hmm. honestly, I get a little like pessimistic about PT. Like how much of PT is just that it's a different slash newer stimulus that feels safe. So that's, I mean, that's pain science, right? So the brain can become sensitive to specific movements, very specific movements, like might be a deadlift at 225 pounds is when I hurt. And I've had patients that it was very like, very specifically that weight with the deadlift, like 220 pounds, fine, you know? And so like, it doesn't make any sense. And so, Sometimes you you just need to like 
trick the brain into like do something that the brain is not being threatened by doesn't in- interpret as a threat and if if for whatever reason your bosu ball <laughs> the is the path ball. to get there maybe you can incorporate it i would still probably argue there's other paths to take that are more effective but i remember like yeah. that was the thing in pt school is like they made everyone get in a bosu ball and try to do mm-hmm. a squat and it was like yeah. oh like you can't do it it's like you're not as fit as you thought and i'm like what does that have to do with anything what like, is that like what does my back squat have to do with how many squats i can do on a bosu ball like yeah how does that translate at all yeah, do you think like Elliot Kipchoge can? I don't know how to say his name. I'm an Andy Lerner. I don't even know who that is. He's the sub two hour marathon guy. Can he do a squat on a Bosu ball? If, if not, he's not. obviously not fit. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, he didn't deserve that. He title. probably can. Honestly, he's probably just one of those people. But well, then is it is it a measure of fitness? Probably not. I guess it was just yeah. So Nate pretty much really um, triggered me the other day. He said, <laughs> "Bottoms up, kettlebell presses or carries are the the Bosu ball of the shoulder." Yeah, I kind of feel that way. So, all right. So most people do bottoms up kettlebell carries as a rotator cuff exercise, right? The idea is that your arms out in front of you, your forearm is vertical. You're holding the handle of the kettlebell and the bottom of the kettlebell is up in the air. And as the bottom of the kettlebell shifts left and right, your rotator cuff has to rotate your arm internally and externally to stabilize it. You're like an idiot right now. Why? Because I don't know. I'm like, shoot, I do these all the time. And I'm like, that's very rotator cuff. And even well, so as like, you're talking about it right now, I'm like, it's all wrist. It's So that's what I've been thinking about, though. So I've thought about this a lot <laughs> okay. since we argued about okay, it. Good. So I do think for most people, it's probably just going to be a grip exercise and a front delt exercise. So the kettlebell's in front of you. If it starts to fall, your grip is what has to stabilize that. Um, if it falls more than like a quarter inch off to the side, it's going to go down. Like your rotator cuff is probably not going to, unless it's a super lightweight. So, and, and if you're trying to hold it upright the whole time, your rotator cuff isn't under that much stress. It's just your front delt holding it and your rotator cuff is a little bit active, probably not more than it would be with an overhead press. I would, I would guess. But if it starts to become unstable, it's your grip and your wrist. And so it's going to be limited for most people and maybe probably me but if you have a really strong grip so i'll get into a second it's going to be limited by most for most people by your grip so it's a grip exercise like if you're if whatever fatigues out whatever limits the movement is going to be the thing that gets the biggest stimulus for adaptation so that's either your grip or your front delt probably um so like what's the difference in because the other week when mm -hmm. blake and i were like doing it and trying to feel it I was like, oh, I feel my shoulder. Well, no shit, you're pressing. Yeah. And like, I feel my shoulder when I'm just pressing a regular kettlebell. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think that it's a rotator cuff activity. Like, I yeah. think that I'm more engaged. So do I just like convince myself that I feel it? Maybe. I don't know. And well, and so that's what I was thinking too, is like, I do a lot of like rotator cuff strengthening just because I've had, had, I mean, my shoulders are the worst. Um, the worst. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> So I do a lot of rotator cuff strengthening in an attempt to not hurt myself anymore. And my grip is uh, comparatively weak compared to the rest of my body. My grip is pretty much my biggest weak. Haven't caught up yet. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> probably never will. So like when I do a ro- when I do a bottoms up kettlebell carry, like my rotator cuff is probably at a very low level of stress compared to what I can deal with. And my grip is a very high level of stress. So maybe I just don't feel it in my rotator cuff. Maybe it's for me in particular, maybe that's the issue. If someone has a strong grip and a weak rotator cuff, maybe it is a better exercise for them. But I would argue because we're depending on the oscillations left and right mm-hmm. of the kettlebell to activate the rotator cuff, it's still probably not fatiguing the rotator cuff out. And so like, I just feel like there's better, better approaches. I don't know. And, and like, 
having said that, Hannah went back through like one of my patients and saw like six months ago I prescribed bottoms on kettlebell carriers. <laughs> <laughs> like, you prescribe these. I was like, you I saw you do these the other day. I do these. I mean, I yeah. Since our talk, like I haven't done them at all, but like I did them at the workshop, and like people struggled yeah. with them. And yeah. I'm like, are people struggling with bottoms up and? You know, stuff like that just because it's mm. boastable yeah. and, and this it's is, unstable. And part of the problem is like we, we both went home that night and looked through the research. There's like not. I'm gonna I'm gonna win this one. Yeah. And there's no there's no research on it. There's no EMG studies on bottom up kettlebell carries with your rotator cuff. So we don't actually have like hard evidence showing one way or the other. We just have going by feeling and going by like our, our idea of what biomechanic Logic. biomechanically is happening, yeah. So like we could be wrong. Maybe it is like I wouldn't think of well, I guess I would, I don't know. I wouldn't think of a squat as an adductor magnus exercise, but it is. What do you mean? You, know? you told me the other day that the adductor magnus is super active. In it a is, squat. yeah. So it's one of the, but I wouldn't think that like just my my model of biomechanics in my brain, yeah. like wouldn't have come to that conclusion just because I'm not like I don't have a, a close enough model to reality yeah. to actually like do that in my head, right? So it's possible like the rotator cuffs, it's possible bottoms up kettlebell carries are a rotator cuff exercise, and I just can't like I'm just not like. You just can't feel it. I just can't feel it, yeah. Because my adductors are always sore after I back squat. Yeah, yeah. I've torn mine back squatting. So. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, I like went down oh to the bottom gosh. of the box squat and started to come up and it was like pop. Oh. Like bruising down the leg. And So what would you do? Well, no. First of all, then you mm. also shat on my ring planks. I know. Let's talk about I didn't, that. I didn't, I feel like I didn't shit on those as hard. Ah, but I mean, it's not like if they, if they need to be like criticize yeah. like they need to be like you know it's like why are we doing the yeah. things that we're doing like it's not like oh my god I made up this ring plank and mm-hmm. you are like hurting my feelings but yeah. it's like when you really think about it why are we doing a lot of the things like what is our goal yeah. with a lot of these there's probably an argument for ring planks to be made for CrossFit athletes that have to do dips and muscle ups on rings and to become comfortable on a ring as a very early early stage exercise or even as like a warm up of like, this is what my arms are going to do when I'm on the rings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like so. if it is, if you do have a CrossFitter who is unstable on the rings mm-hmm. and you're just trying to give them like a different way of being on the rings, like would you say mm-hmm. that it is now beneficial? Probably. Yeah. Probably yeah. not super strong. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably a strategy to get there. About yeah. it, but like probably like if, if they, if they have trouble like just holding a dip position in the rings where they're like upright, then you would regress that back to like a plank in the rings. I but guess. it's probably more beneficial to just scale the like the hold, like just probably, hold right? or dip. I would think so. Yeah. There's also so like in a in a ring dip. Um, so I've done like a lot of weighted dips in my time and a lot of weighted ring dips in my time. Yeah. And there's like a ninety to a hundred pound difference between the two of what I'm capable of. And so like which one. Am I able to use more musculature because my brain feels like it, everything's stable and I can push harder? So, like for pure tissue capacity, ring dips are probably not the way to go. But they are a skill that has to be learned for CrossFit and maybe yeah, for some other gymnastics. things. Yeah, but that's okay. That's the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. what is tissue capacity if it doesn't involve the skill portion of it? Yeah, because capacity is everything, right? Mm-hmm. It's just its ability to tolerate blank. So, yeah, that could be you know my dip, my ability to dip. 300 pounds. I mean, that's mm-hmm. insane. Be a lot. That's a regular dip, but now I'm throwing in a skill portion of it. Like mm-hmm. what makes 
what makes something more tissue capacity focused? So the, I think of tissue capacity as if you cut someone's brain out and just like, so for muscle capacity, right? Like if you just electrocute the muscle with no brain input as hard as you can, how hard can that muscle contract? How much force can it produce? Or if you like try to break a bone, how much force can that bone tolerate before it it breaks? Like ligaments and stuff. Pure like, yeah, tolerance to stress basically in, in the body. So you had the skill portion in and now it's your brain learning how to use that the, that tissue capacity. So it's learning how to like recruit things in a certain order at a certain intensity. Um, so it is still using tissue capacity. It's just yes. using it in a different way. It's a skill. Yeah. But I would argue, so you just said it's your body. It's something's ability to tolerate stress. But if mm-hmm. you take the brain out, mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, if we think about physical stress, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Lifting. But then what about a mental, like emotional, like actual stress, stress, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's we an interaction. Need that ability too, because yeah. like we know stress plays a huge role in all mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. So it's like there's tissue capacity if there's no other factors, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really cover it because the word is capacity. Yeah, that's why I say tissue capacity. I don't know. I like human capacity. Human, I like that too. Yeah, but sometimes it's useful to break things into two different parts and like. Like if I, if I have someone doing single leg calf raises, like we're not, that's not a skill. Like it's a very unskilled, uh, accessory movement. (laughs) Put them on a BOSU ball. Yeah, there you go. Put them (laughs) on a BOSU ball. Yeah. But like, we're just trying to build like capacity in the Achilles tendon and the calf in a very, like the most simple possible way, because the simplest possible way is how you're going to maximally recruit the muscle. Um, there's no skill involved. So you don't have to like, even, even a squat has, has a decent amount of skill involved Mm -hmm. in deadlifts. And so like a single joint exercise is probably going to be pretty solid for improving tissue capacity in a non-threatening manner um, with no other factors involved. Like, obviously, that's not where you stop because unless, unless someone just wants to be a bodybuilder, like, that that might be where a bodybuilder stops. But, like, anybody doing anything else, CrossFit, powerlifting, strongman, any team sports, like, they have to add the skill component in at some point. But the reason, like, if they sprained an ankle or, like, they tore their MCL or something like that, like, the tissue capacity was not high enough to deal with the stress going through it and so like for me step one is usually like let's pick things to improve the tissue capacity let's figure out maybe if the skill component wasn't good enough and contributed to like more mechanical stress than probably would have been otherwise if they were more skilled and like add that in later i like that description of it's more of like a progression Mm -hmm. because it's like you can't have you can't do the really high skilled movements if you don't have the tissue capacity for it or you, that's why you get hurt. Like mm-hmm. that's why you get pain with those things. So it's like, yeah, I need to be able to like the running thing. Like I need to be able to do single leg calf raises from a deficit on my right foot better so that I can tolerate running mm-hmm. the scale of double unders, like jumping more, mm-hmm. but it's not like the double unders themselves are building tissue capacity. Like yeah. I need to build capacity to be able to like perform the skill. Mm-hmm. So then we're back to ring planks. We're like back to ring planks. How much of it, and is it worthwhile to do something just because you feel like it's hard? I mean, I feel like that's a lot of CrossFit, so probably. Oh, like it's it's a test, right? But so say that let's let's take it like a specific specific example, right? So someone cannot do a ring dip. They want to be able to do a ring dip because they can get in the muscle up position. They can't dip up out of it. Or like they do three muscle ups and their dips just give out at that point. So we all know like people who like they can muscle up all day long, but like the dip is the hard part of it. Yeah. So 
there's a few few potential things going on here, right? One is that maybe uh, they they aren't stable at the top of the rings. Like skill wise, their brain has trouble saying like, okay, you're stable enough for me to produce a lot of force with your pecs and your triceps in order to extend up out of this, right? So the the brain's going to limit how much muscle, and this is why BOSU balls are bad. The brain's going to limit muscle recruitment okay. if it doesn't feel stable enough to like make mm-hmm. it happen in a safe manner, right? Um, it's like why you can't bite your own finger off. It's like your brain's... Do it. Not, try it. Don't want, I don't want to try it. <laughs> like Le- your brain won't let you yeah. produce the max amount of muscle recruitment. Yeah, if it doesn't feel like it's a safe environment for it. And like, There's probably some wow. people that can. I feel like you could say that for a lot of different things. Probably, yeah. So the, the higher skill the movement, the harder time your brain's going to have with that unless it's practiced it enough to feel comfortable with it. So maybe the ring dip is, maybe it's the skill component of like, I don't feel stable enough to produce mm-hmm. force. It could also just be that like the, the amount of force the pecs and the triceps can produce is not enough to do like multiple ring dips. And so like why, so you could just like ring, like ring dip away in the rings. You get some skill components, some tissue capacity components, some like increased muscle size, or you could add in strict accessory work for the mm-hmm. pecs and the and the triceps, and also include some of the skill work. So like that would be like strict dips on a like on that uh, what's the rope matador? Thing? Yeah, the matador. I love um, the matador. Yeah, we don't have one. Yeah, do we? no, we need to get one. Yeah, but you can do it with boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you you know like even just like tricep extensions or mm-hmm. um, like push ups or bench press things like that to actually increase the tissue capacity. And once the muscles are able to produce enough force, you add the skill component in and the brain learns how to use it and then performance improves. So it's so, like accessory. And that's why we, we see a lot of CrossFitters that have yeah. the pain. The pain. The, mm-hmm. They have pain because they do a lot of the skilled movements, but they don't have the tissue capacity for it. Yeah, and they yeah. don't do the accessory mm-hmm. exercises to build up that capacity. So yeah. like my rehab would be incomplete. For a CrossFitter, if we just did the skill or mm-hmm. if we just did the tissue capacity exercise, that's mm-hmm. at least how I feel because, like, I'm trying to get them back to the skill. If yeah. they are not trying to get back to the skill and we're just trying to build triceps capacity, mm-hmm. then, like, do it in the most simple, best way you can. Yeah. But if they're doing it for this end goal of ring dips and muscle ups, that's yeah. when you would use it. Yeah, you have to get tissue capacity in the and the skill to use the tissue capacity for the movement. But there's no skill that involves a bottoms-up kettlebell. None that I can think of. I mean, so what would you do instead? Let's go back to kettlebells. For rotator cuff. So for rotator cuff, um, muscles grow best, generally speaking. Most, most studies show muscles grow, grow best when you work them through a full range of motion. Um, the like external rotators are do different different parts of the fibers work differently when your arm is in different positions. So like working through a full range of motion in multiple shoulder positions. So like at your side, everyone knows the like external rotation at your side, um, working external rotation up, up above your head, like next to your head, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I usually like do that with bands, you know, I like, I like bands for the rotator cuff stuff. Um, you could do it with dumbbells laying on your side, but basically, and, and then strength, which is skill plus tissue capacity. So, and strength almost isn't a good word for it, like performance, right? Yeah. So strength can be performance in any rep range um, or with any activity, but performance is very specific to the activity that you do the range of motion in. And so if you want to, if you have pain pressing overhead and we find out, like we go through examination, we find out like your left 
external your left shoulder external rotators are super weak and it's your left shoulder that hurts and the referred pain lines up with like rotator cuff tendinopathy hurts on the side of your shoulder um then we probably say like hey you probably need to make your rotator cuff stronger we need to teach you how to make your rotate we need to teach you how to use the rotator cuff up overhead so doing something that stresses the rotator cuff more overhead than just a press because we want the rotator cuff to be the limiting factor in that so it gets strongest um in my opinion should work pretty well so like that's the overhead press of the band across the body okay um and like you can add a dumbbell into that you can um there's probably a way to do it with a barbell we've done it like uh kevin way back in the day one of my other students did it with bench press it was kind of cool um, I can't even picture this right now. It's like the, you can only really do it with dumbbells, but you like have the band off to the side. Oh, like but like you way, need something that's still pulling you and like resisting yeah. the rotator cuff and not just the press. Yeah. Which is why people think that if you flip it on mm. its head, like so the, it's bottoms up. Now you have that thing that you're controlling, mm. but like I'm going to mostly use my wrist. Yeah, it's probably mostly grip for most people, I would think. And, like, your shoulders get tired because you're pressing overhead, mm-hmm. not because your rotator cuff is going crazy. Because it's not mm-hmm. even... It, it would... At best, it would be an isometric contraction. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it, it's not like I'm moving yeah. my shoulder, like, in this huge range of motion. I'm just keeping it stable overhead. Yeah. But... Like is I mean there is value to being able to keep something stable over your yeah. head, especially if you do a sport that requires you. Yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah. like CrossFit or Olympic weightlifting in particular. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing movements where you're not really pressing with your arms, but you're catching overhead and trying to stabilize. Like snatches, jerks. Um, doesn't really. I don't know. But you know, you're, like you're basically trying. Yeah, you're yeah. trying not to rely on the strength of your triceps and your delts until you're already in that overhead position. So it's probably good to build stability overhead. Or just is it just um, we need to practice it and like yeah, get your brain used it to it? Yeah, build tissue capacity and, and practice the skill. So, are we ever doing a bottoms up kettlebell carry? I mean, for probably ever again. I'll I'll probably I don't know. I mean, how yeah. much of it? I'm like maybe I just I used this because mm-hmm. someone someone else told me rotator cuff. You see it on Instagram, mm-hmm. rotator cuff. It's also like a funner way and it's a little sexier than using the bands. Yep. Especially if like you kind of get bored with the bands i'm like yeah, what am do. i just gonna have someone do the banded stuff the whole time yeah sometimes i don't do it forever but and that's that's the thing too is like uh, you talk to so we recently had um brett bartholomew come out uh the author of conscious coaching and he talks about like the the best coach like his whole thing is about communication but like for the technical coaches the ones that do the best are the ones that like do the basics really well and that's like crossfit says that right like do the basics well Everyone, everyone that's like an expert in the field says do the basics well. And so like, do we need to make it fancy? Like, why are we making it fancy? What do we, it's stimulus, (laughs) stimulus adaptation, right? Is what we're looking for. We just feel like we have to make it fancy for someone to want to do it. Yeah. Like justify bringing them back in or, you know. Yeah. It's like, we kind of feel like we always have to have like the new exercise. Yeah. The new way that no one else knows how to strengthen rotator cuff. Like Mm -hmm. we're always, like I saw someone the other day benching a bottoms up kettlebell yeah and when i say i saw someone it was, it was elliot it was my boyfriend <laughs> so sorry yeah. elliot he, uh, but like because still my neck bridges oh my so god I, I did he they're i probably not, not no, i showed him those did, yeah they're because we both had a lot of trouble with them um yeah, they're not they're hard mine. They're, they they're are hard. hard i still i don't really know if i'm doing them right but that's another yeah it's like is benching with bottoms up kettlebell and what what does that do it, is it just it's a grip exercise for sure which is great if yeah. you want to work on your Grip strength, or just like mm-hmm. if you want to do something that feels kind of unstable, yeah, 
But if you are trying it, to make it your could pinch, be like it's going to also limit the amount of weight you can use. So for someone that has shoulder pain or something with mm. bench pressing, it's going to make them decrease the weight and it's going to make them move really slow and it's giving them something to think about that's not their pick. So they're thinking about stabilizing the kettlebell. So it creates that external focus versus internal yeah. focus. So like maybe it would be good for desensitizing in that case. Hmm. I don't know. I could I could see about. an argument for that. Yeah. Okay. So right. the last thing. So um, we didn't really get a lot of action on the questions that I posted on Instagram, but mm. Alex McMeekin asked, how much can you Jefferson curl? I've done 315 for three. And that's because you're super like genetically inclined. Yeah. Athlete, I'm just like right? a absolute monster, you know, um, four years of cross country in high school, never quite made varsity <laughs> or track. So that's what we were talking <laughs> about the other day when like I was joking with someone and I was like, oh, like. I don't even care how you lift. I don't care how you pick it up. You can, like, whatever. And, and someone said, oh, like, yeah, you can just Jefferson curl it. And, like, they were kidding. Like, they were mm-hmm. like, oh, please don't Jefferson curl. And they were like, unless you're Nate. And yeah. I was like, and you were like, what makes me special? Yeah, nothing makes me special. So, like. Nothing makes me special. <laughs> I feel pretty good about my deadlift, right? I'm not special at all. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my deadlift. Like, I've done a 6'10 in, in competition, in a strongman competition, so with straps. Um Cheating, yeah. But there are people in my weight class that do like 800 plus pounds in powerlifting. Like, it's insane. There are some actually really genetically gifted, hard workers, crazy athletes out there, right? So, like, I was, I, so here, here's my whole rant, right? Like, I was four pounds when I was born, full term. Like, I was not a big, hefty child. I, he's always been beating. Yeah. Like twenty oh, fifth really? percentile height, basically my whole <laughs> life. Tiny little kid. I did cross country and track for four years in high school. Didn't varsity in either one. In four <laughs> years. Yeah, in four years, never like senior, still not on varsity. It's I've been lifting since I was, man. I want to say fifteen. You know, they should like bench press and and curls, basically. Guess, but like, yeah. so almost twenty years now, like eighteen, nineteen, nineteen years. Ooh, I'm ooh, old. Ooh, um, used to that your age. Yeah, and like. <laughs> You know, I still, some days, like I, some days I still can't squat over 400 pounds. Like it's still, that's still a hard weight for me. I know. Well, but there's people in my weight class doing like seven, 800 pounds. It's insane. So like, I'm not someone I would consider genetically gifted. I've just taken a method that has created tissue capacity in my body. And I've I've hurt my back. Like when I was 23, I reached out to grab like a hundred pound dumbbell and herniated a disc. I'm pretty sure I herniated a disc running track in high school, like in a 400 meter so like, and I had sciatica down my leg, have a history of back injury and it's this tissue capacity approach. And then the skill approach that's like slowly over time, right. That has got me there. So like I've there, the reason people's backs round on deadlift is there's a mechanical advantage to it. You're getting your hips closer to the bar in a horizontal plane. You're decreasing the moment arm from the hips to the bar. The hips are the pivot point. You're going to have to produce less force to lift the same amount of weight, or you can lift a heavier weight with the force you can produce if you can get there. So then why don't we want to round our backs? Because we have this belief that you're going to herniate a disc if you do that. And it does put more pressure on the posterior part of the disc. The question then is not like, is this good or bad? There's no black or white here. The question is, do the discs in your low back and the ligaments that like are over them and the connective tissue and the muscles have enough tissue capacity to deal with the stress going through them? And that's not a different question than deadlifting with a straight back either. Yeah. Like, you know, are you just prepared for this movement or not? Yeah. Can, can your knees tolerate going to the bottom of the squat? Can your knees tolerate going to the bottom of the squat with 500 pounds? Can your back round 
at a certain weight? Can your back even be flat at a certain weight? Someone deadlifting a thousand pounds with a flat back is probably experiencing significantly more disc stress than me deadlifting 600 with a round back. Um, so it's the tissue potential is there. The potential to have the tissue capacity is probably there for most people. And it's just taking the right path to get there, I guess. And so that's, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not special. I'm not like, again, like maybe kind of okay at deadlifts, but. But like I, I wanted, like I talked about that because when I posted the video of you doing Jefferson curls, like everyone kind of like glorifies you and they're like, mm. well, I can't do that. I can't round my back. I'm not Nate. Yeah. And I everyone's didn't... like, oh, well, Nate, Nate can do this because Nate's super strong. And then Nate's like, well, I was a four pound baby. Like, yeah. It's just like, are you prepared for this movement? Have you been training for 19 years? Have you been training mm-hmm. this movement and with a rounded back? And, and everyone, like, recently has kind of been like, oh, well, rounding your back is fine. And they'll, like, mm-hmm. kind of let you have it. But then they'll be like, but the most efficient way to deadlift is with a flat back. But I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Like for, I- for some people, maybe, depending on, like, personal biomechanics, for Olympic lifts, probably. You have to yeah. transfer force from your hips into the bar. You can't really skill. do that with a rounded back. Yeah. But like you said, like getting your hips closer to the bar is yeah. easier. And like, yeah, I mean, rounding my back always feels stronger than mm-hmm. it's like way more effort than to um, like to lift with a flat back. But people think that they can't do it. And yeah. that you're the only person that can do it. And it's like, no, like you can, you can, you can do this too. Yeah. Just like anything else, treat rounding your back as a progressive overload. Like you, you start squatting, you want to get better at squatting. People run like hatch squats or they they do like five by five or all these various progressions of like a little bit more each week, progressive overload, right? Like Chris Gregory, whole one of our professors, progressive overload is his one big thing. And it's true. But like you do that, you can do that with any part of your body with anything. You know, knee valgus, you can do that with um, rounding your back and just start with a light weight. Like discs probably take a little bit longer to adapt than most body parts. They don't have great blood flow and they're, they're, uh, there, there is one study looking at, um, disc adaptation to like a pretty solid deadlift low back program and like not a lot changed in six months they didn't get worse didn't really get better on mri so they probably take years yeah um like the whole vertebra basically um like they got everyone got stronger um but the the discs themselves didn't really change on mri over a six month period so it's probably we're looking at like years versus months for this this change to occur and like that should be fine anyway. If you're doing something fitness related, like you need to be thinking long term. Yeah, anyway. you don't add so. 100 pounds to your deadlift within the first, like within a year, yeah. if you're an experienced deadlifter. Either way. Yeah, it took me, oh man, eight years to go from like 560 to 600. Like, yeah, it's, like the first year or two, everybody PRs and like they make all yeah. these gains. But then after that, like it's a little bit slower. So why mm-hmm. do you? Like, why do people think that Jefferson curls are different when they're just a lift? Like, it's just a different kind of lift. Mm-hmm. So, rounding your back is okay. Yeah. And I think next time, like, let's let's dive into that, like, even okay. more. Let's and, like, talk that. about the research and okay. talk about all that. I'll put um, stuff up. So, bottoms up kettlebells are the new Bozu ball. And mm-hmm. Bozu balls don't do what you think they're doing unless you are trying to get better at using a Bozu ball. Mm-hmm. Which is fine if that's your thing. Mr. Bozu ball guy. That's yep. fine. And don't go to PT school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's oh, super ending. optimistic. All everyone. right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. 
If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have a phenomenal